Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. We know how helpful continuous glucose monitors are for individuals with diabetes, but might they be of benefit also to individuals with pre-diabetes? Today we'll be discussing a very interesting abstract presented at Endo 2022 entitled Impact of CGM on Lifestyle Modifications in Individuals with Pre-Diabetes. Joining me is one of the authors, Dr. Hisham Farhan, an endocrinology fellow at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure, Aaron. It's very nice to meet you. Oh, wonderful. Let's just start at the beginning here. How important is CGM as a tool in treating patients with diabetes on insulin therapy? Mm -hmm. So to answer that question, I would say that it's important to address uh, how do we typically manage diabetes. And for optimum management of diabetes, lifestyle and dietary choices are extremely important because anything that you're eating and your physical activity and exercise levels have a direct impact on the blood sugar levels. So when we talk about optimal management, there is a part that the patient has to play, like their active involvement in their disease management for optimal management of diabetes. And uh, any patient who understands their disease better would be able to make those changes and would be able to control their disease in a better manner. So when we talk about the impact of CGM in this patient population, we uh, fortunately have a very good amount of data over the last decade or so. And it has been shown that when CGM was used in patients who were primarily on insulin therapy, it showed better glycemic control in mm -hmm. those patients. It showed improvement in the weight loss, as well as promoting the adherence to those lifestyle changes. And the idea behind that is that the constant feedback, the visual feedback that a patient is receiving by using CGM whenever they eat something or whenever they do a physical activity or they are uh, exercising, that feedback really promotes better understanding of their disease. And as a result, it promotes the adherence to those lifestyle changes. So this is what we already know uh, about use of CGM in patients who have a diagnosis of diabetes on insulin therapy. Now, very interestingly, your study looks at CGM use in individuals with pre-diabetes. Why did you want to explore CGM use in this population? So I think before we address that, it's important to say a few lines about pre-diabetes. Mm -hmm. So what is pre-diabetes? This is a state where the blood sugars are higher than the normal range. However, they are not high enough to make a diagnosis of full diabetes. And this condition is considered a high-risk state because a big majority of patients who have this condition are expected to develop diabetes at some point in their life. And there are some facts that I would like to mention from the National Diabetes Statistics Reports from this year mm -hmm. that almost every third American adult is uh, known to have prediabetes. Oh and interestingly, almost 80% of those individuals 
are not even aware that they have this condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about the economic impact, the cost of diabetes and its related complications were $327 billion back in 2017. Oh, yeah. So you will get a, a very good idea about how significant this issue is. Mm-hmm. So I call this condition as a wake-up call that this is the time when the patients really need to start making those lifestyle changes to prevent the disease, which has a, such a significant impact on our economy. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, there was a landmark DPP study back in 2002, which concluded that when there were structured lifestyle interventions performed in patients who have a diagnosis of prediabetes, more than 50% of those individuals were able to prevent diabetes or delay the development of diabetes from the prediabetes state. So that That landmark trial led to the development of CDC-recognized National Diabetes Prevention Program back in 2010, which basically focuses on healthy eating and in promoting physical activity and exercise. And it basically covers about 12 to 16 sessions over a span of about a year in patients who have a diagnosis. We are here with a condition which has a significant impact, which is potentially preventable, However, this poses a challenge for most of the patients to make those lifestyle changes. And despite the benefits of DPP program, we have seen that the utilization of this program is very, very low. Some studies mm-hmm. have shown to be anywhere around 5 to 25% in patients who have prediabetes. So when we look at some of the factors which lead to underutilization, One big factor which is contributing is the lack of awareness of the patients as well as lack of motivation to make those lifestyle changes. And this is where we came up with our theory that what can we do to improve that awareness and motivation to make those lifestyle interventions and to understand that we tested two interventions. One was continuous glucose monitoring and one was diabetes education classes. Yeah, let's jump into it. It's a great concept. So why don't you just take some time and tell us about your study? Okay. So so as I mentioned, we, we basically explored the impact of continuous glucose monitoring in individuals who have a diagnosis of prediabetes. And as of now, we have very, very limited data on the utilization of CGM in this patient population. Our outcome of interest or the hypothesis was that the individuals who were using CGM in addition to diabetes education will show improved adherence to lifestyle modifications and greater reduction of HbA1c, hemoglobin A1c, as compared to those who received diabetes education alone. And a little bit about the design of the study. So we included 57 individuals who have a diagnosis of prediabetes Mm -hmm. and we randomized them into two groups. One group, which was called as a CGM group, basically used continuous glucose monitor for a period of about three months along with receiving diabetes education. And the second group, which was called EDU group or education group, received the diabetes education alone. And uh, we requested all of our participants to fill out some baseline questionnaires at the beginning, at the end, at the end. So to assess the dietary habits, we used the food frequency questionnaire called UKDDQ. And to assess the physical activity levels, we used an IPAC questionnaire. And all of the uh, participants 
filled out or completed these questionnaires at the beginning and then at the end to understand what was the change in their dietary habits mm -hmm. as well as the physical activity levels. And all of the participants also had their blood work called hemoglobin A1C tested at the beginning and at the end of the study. And this is the blood work that we typically use to assess the glycemic control over the last three months or so. And apart from that, we also measured their weight and their blood pressure. Earlier on, you also mentioned diabetes education. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask very quickly, can you tell mm -hmm. us a bit about what constituted that mm -hmm. diabetes education in your study? So all of the participants of the study initially attended a session, which was a group activity with certified diabetes educators. Mm -hmm. And they basically addressed multiple topics, uh, starting from what is prediabetes, just to make them aware, mm -hmm. and uh, what is the impact, what are the risk factors of progression to full diabetes, and then uh, they provided education about what are the dietary recommendations in this patient population, how to plan the meals, how to have a balanced diet, what is the glycemic index of different foods, how to constitute consistency in carbohydrates, and then how to increase the physical activity to the recommended level. So basically, overall, how to adapt a healthier lifestyle and diet in an effort to reduce the risk of diabetes progression. So everyone attended the session in the beginning, and then this was followed up by giving a lot of printed handout, mm -hmm. as well as some online resources. And then there was a follow-up session at three months interval, which was remote. And again, that was a step up to the initial education session where some additional topics were covered in an effort to make the patients better aware of this condition. Fantastic. So fairly robust education. Ultimately, what did you find? So let's talk uh, one by one. So when we talk about the food choices uh, or the dietary habits, so both of the groups, both the CGM as well as the education group, they showed an improvement in the or increase in the healthier food choices at the end of the study, which was the six months. But surprisingly, the education only group outperformed the CGM group, hmm. interestingly. And with regards to unhealthy food choices, both of the groups showed a reduction in unhealthy food choices. When we talk about the physical activity levels, the CGM group showed a significant improvement in the moderate physical activity levels. And then if we talk about the vigorous physical activity levels, this was reported by more individuals in the CGM group versus the education group. When we talk about hemoglobin A1c, so both groups showed an improvement from their baseline, although the improvement was a bit min like on the lower side. However, mm -hmm. it was statistically significant in the CGM group. Their A1c improved from 5.9 at baseline to 5.7. Okay. And then in the education only group, it improved from 5.9 to 5.8%. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing was that 33% of the participants from both groups actually had a normal A1c. A1C, meaning that they were able to reverse their prediabetes at the follow-up lab work at the end of the study, which was quite impressive. Then with regards to the weight and blood pressure, which were our secondary outcomes, we noticed that the CGM group had a greater reduction in the uh, weight as well as more improvement in the blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Irrespective of the group assignment, 
we noticed that there was an improvement in all of the outcomes in the overall study population and this happened despite the fact that the pandemic happened in the middle of our study. We were in month four of our study when pandemic happened and as we know that a lot of people had to be bound to their houses yep. and that had a significant impact on their physical activity and food choices but despite that at the end of the study there were improvements in all of the outcomes. When we asked the patients or participants what was the negative impact or how do you think that the pandemic negatively impacted lesser number of patients in the CGM group told us that they had a negative impact hmm. from uh, the pandemic and when we asked the CGM group that were you guys able to maintain your changes lifestyle changes that you made after you stopped wearing the CGM because they stopped it at three months interval. So the majority of the patients, like almost 70% of the patients said that they were able to maintain their dietary changes and almost 80% of the patients said that they were able to maintain their physical activity wow. changes at the end of the study. On comparing the both interventions, when we asked them that what do they feel that helped them more, the 56% of CGM group participants said that they felt that CGM helped them more in their disease awareness and making those healthy lifestyle changes. And then 40% said that both interventions, the diabetes education and wearing the CGM helped them equally. So those were the results. And so we are basically concluding that CGM use in addition to uh, diabetes education resulted in improvement in physical activity as well as food choices, hemoglobin A1c, weight and blood pressure in individuals with pre-diabetes. However, I would also like to mention that the diabetes education session was also quite significant and the significance can be seen that the patients performed better compared to CGM with regards to their dietary choices. Right. And just to remind that this is just like a basic diabetes education session, just two sessions when compared to the very intensive diabetes prevention program, which has like almost 16 sessions over a span of one year. So even if our patients can get like a basic diabetes education session from a certified person, that can have very significant impact on their disease awareness and lifestyle choices moving forward. We would also say that the CGM can be a very effective tool for diabetes prevention mm -hmm. uh, with lifestyle modifications in patients with prediabetes. However, the long-term impact of CGM use and the cost-benefit analysis in this high-risk patient population needs to be explored further. Your findings definitely seem to show that CGM uses of some benefit to people with, mm -hmm. with prediabetes. Mm -hmm. they, they said, they said as much. Mm -hmm. But anecdotally, did, did, any of them explain why? Like why having that was mm -hmm. able to, to help them so much? Mm -hmm. So if I have to summarize, I think two things stand out. Uh, one thing was the disease awareness because prior to that, they had very limited disease awareness that what prediabetes is. Everyone hears about diabetes, but they didn't really understand what that means and uh, what it means to have prediabetes and what are their risks. So it was the disease awareness which they received and that was really helpful. And the other thing was that the sense of feedback that there is a small device, a continuous glucose sensor, which is attached to their body, which is providing a consistent, continuous feedback on the blood sugar levels in response to different foods and physical activity level. That feedback was able to maintain a check and balance 
in their lifestyle choices. So those two things, I think, would stand out if we talk about the patient perspective in this case. Now, I'm sure it's not just me, but everybody listening who has this next question. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the barriers or or questions still needing answers before we could see this world with a wider use Mm -hmm. of CGMs? Mm To address this, I think it's important to address some of the limitations of our study as well. So when we talk about the limitations of our study, as I mentioned, it was a small study Mm -hmm. around just 57 participants and the duration was just six to nine months. However, I think that we really need to understand the impact of the CGM use in this patient population with a much bigger patient population and the study needs to be of a much longer duration because this is something which is a lifelong condition and uh, these things need to be adapted on a long-term basis. So I think that the impact or the benefits need to be addressed or studied over a long period of time. The second thing which I feel was a limitation was that most of the participants in our study were in the very initial stages of their pre-diabetes, which means that their hemoglobin A1C was below 6%. Usually, anyone who is between 5.7 to 6.4% is diagnosed with pre-diabetes. However, most of our patients are were below 6%. What we have seen is that as the number increases, as you move more towards the diabetes cutoff, the changes in the blood sugar levels in response to different foods are more prominent. So we feel that if the future studies can include patients who are at a different stage of their pre-diabetes, much closer to developing diabetes, that way they will be able to see much more impact of different foods on their blood sugar levels and maybe that information may be more helpful. So that's one of the things. In an ideal world, I think that if I have to think back in time, there were some other ideas that if we didn't have the funding limitations, we could have done that. For example, we also have blinded CGMs where the patients do wear the sensor. However, they are not able to see their blood sugars, but the sensor is recording everything. So if we were able to provide that blinded sensor to the other arm of the study, which received just diabetes education, but they were not able to see their numbers, maybe we were able to have a better comparison because both were wearing the CGM and we could have compared the changes in their blood sugar levels at the end of the study. However, uh, due to funding limitations, we couldn't do that. And then the other idea, which I thought was that if we can do like a crossover study where one group wears CGM and then we cross over at the second phase of the study where now the other group wears the CGM and then we compared the results at the beginning and end of each intervention. That might have been helpful. And the last thing is that continuous glucose monitoring technology at this point is quite costly. Mm. And that's why there's a lot of issue with regards to insurance approval in this regard. So we really need to study that what would be the cost benefit analysis of using this technology in this high risk group because even with patients who have diabetes who are not on insulin therapy they have a difficult time in getting cgm approved from their insurances for the most part Mm -hmm. so the cost benefit analysis needs to be addressed and studied further that whether the cost of using this technology is really worth the benefits that we are receiving and the benefits are translated in terms of prevention of diabetes which has such a significant and huge impact on our uh, healthcare expenditure. Absolutely. Uh, so those are some of the things where I think we are posing these questions for future studies moving forward. 
So I think you've already answered my next question in a lot of ways that your findings kind of open up all these other doors that mm -hmm. people could go and explore and see, you know, mm -hmm. we need to figure this part out, we need to figure this part out. Mm -hmm. But when you think of the next short-term future, how might your findings most impact or inspire future research? So first of all, we didn't have much data on the utilization of this technology in this patient group. So I think our study is able to provide some basic idea we have started improving our understanding in learning more about using this technology and that can be used as a baseline for future research and uh, in the near future i think that given the current costs of cgm yeah. uh, we may not be able to utilize this technology for now but i'm hopeful that a few years from now when this technology is more much more widely available mm -hmm. and there are many other competitors who are making this technology hopefully the prices can go down mm -hmm. and as a result uh, we can utilize utilize this technology in a much broader patient population, including this high-risk population with prediabetes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and showing this really fascinating research. I really appreciate it. Well, it was my pleasure, and thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Farhan about his research. If you'd like to hear more about the use of continuous glucose monitors, I invite you to check out our sister podcast, which is a journal club podcast called Endocrine Feedback Loop. They recently had an episode titled CGM Metrics and Diabetes Complications, and we'll link to it in today's episode description. Please note, you do need to be a member of the Endocrine Society to access that podcast. If you're not yet a member, please check out our site at endocrine.org membership and see the many ways joining the society can further your career. And as always, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.